0: see hi i'm tom and this is tom talks movies for loughborough campus radio today it's the 11th of december 2019 we have um about 20 days left in december and this decade so i'm going to basically uh, spend my time with you today running through my favorite films of the decade um it's given me an opportunity to reminisce i did sort of a little bit of um background research on the last decade and some of the best films that come out in that time um and i did all of this on um a website called letterbox basically it's a online social media type thing for movie lovers it contains a big sort of movie database uh, allows you to sort of log and record the films you've seen give it a little rating sort of add it to different lists um and share your viewing experience with others um And I've sort of been logging sort of the films I've been watching for a long time, and supposedly I've seen 188 films um, this decade. I don't know sort of where that stacks up compared to other people, but um, there's been some real stinkers in there, and there's been some good ones as well. I think this is going to give me an opportunity today to kind of maybe um, explain what I like watching a little bit more uh, to you guys, sort of give you an impression of who I am, because... Over the last couple of weeks I've talked about what sort of The Joker, didn't really like that. Um Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh The Irishman, sort of two of the sort of big name directors at the moment, or sort of, both uh, releasing new fresh hits. Uh sort of I well, see? Last Christmas, uh, talked about all sort of, the Christmas films I saw and joy. Um and what, Four Versus Ferrari, which was fantastic and might just make my list for the best of twenty nineteen, so um well, we're going to sort of move through the years, so you might be waiting a while for that one. Um, but otherwise, I'm going to jump straight into it. Um, <clears throat> the way I've done it is primarily come up with a sort of favourite film from each year, uh, throughout the decade. And then also maybe name some honourable mentions, um, something from different genres, just to uh, spice up the list a little bit and give you a wider idea of what I, en- I enjoy. So, 2010, I wasn't sort of um, checking out every uh, sort of film release. I was 10 years old, still at primary school. It's a long, long time ago. Um, But notoriously that year, Toy Story 3 came out. And it's an absolute banger. Um, And to think this year, Toy Story 4 came out nine years later, um, which was also a great film. I don't think it comes close to Toy Story 3, but that original trilogy of um, the Toy Story films really kind of um, was at the peak of Pixel, Pixar's strength. Um, Toy Story 3 had a um, great villain in... What, the big purple bear that smelled strawberries? Was it Lotso or something? Um, if I can't remember details from these films, it's not a reflection uh, on the quality of the film. It's more my brain being filled with rubbish. Um, but Toy Story 3, see, sort of um, has... A strong plot for Woody, who I think is sort of my favourite Toy Story character. I think early doors of Toy Story one, it's probably a sort of Buzz Lightyear kind of fandom. I remember I've, I've heard stories from my parents that I sort of used to go around wearing a Buzz Lightyear costume. I don't remember the days vividly, but I can I can picture it. Um, but these days I'm much more of a Woody guy, um, and he had a great little plot in Toy Story three, sort of um, feeling unwanted, <laughs> um, and then finding a new home. Um, at the end of the film, and everyone sort of the passage of time and moving on, and that obviously great scene in the sort of furnace when all the toys hold hands. I think there wasn't there wasn't a dry eye in the cinema. Um, and then sort of other sort of uh, release in 2010. It seemed to be quite a good year for. Um, when I looked it up, um, you're looking at something like Kick Ass. Um, you sort of action comedy based on sort of um a meta commentary on the superhero genre kick-ass played by Aaron Taylor Johnson um, and the film had not only a great standalone plot but was presented really well I th- I'm not sure who directed it. it off the top of my head might be Matthew Vaughan the same guy who did talk Kingsman um, because it's got a similar kind of aesthetic and vibe But um, and you obviously have um, Chloe Grace Moretz as hit girl like the whole the, the this film, I think, is really heightened by its extended cast and side characters. Like Evan Peters features, um, Nicholas Cage features, uh, Mark Strong is obviously the villain because he's, he's been in he's been the villain in every single um, action comedy in the last decade. But um, it's a really strong outing there, and it was a shame that the sequel couldn't sort of live up to the hype there. And then also 2010, you sort of um uh, more of drama here, um the Social Network, the a uh, story of Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, um, directed by uh, David Fincher, but written by... Uh, what's his name? Oh, my God. Aaron Sorkin, um, who is sort of known as one of the sort of best writers in Hollywood. Um, and this film's no exception, sort of brilliantly played roles by... Um, Andrew Garfield, Justin Timberlake... Um, and the rest of the cast. I think this film is known for its dialogue, but it also has that um, non-linear film structure which really played to the film's strength and was able to have sort of flashback uh, interpolation cutscenes um, and meant it sort of had a freshness and could, he, could keep the audience guessing rather than uh, having them find out the information in one scene then the characters finding out the information in the scene in the following um, moments. Um but yeah, I think that sort of film set a real tone for the decade. And um, looking at the sort of de- almost downfall of Facebook across the last year, uh, in real life with the was it Cambridge Analytica saga and kind of the privacy settings problems and people just sort of using the platform less and less, um, it's still kind of relevant today. Um, which it doesn't affect my list. These are just my favourites. But I think when you are trying to define the sort of best films of the decade, it comes does. Um, a factor is the sort of cultural impact and um, how they're still viewed today absolutely their impact is, was the word I was looking for um, 2011 um, with the sort of simpler films it was tough I've got sort of a trio here that it's sort of tough to pick a specific favourite from um, but I, I am a sort of big Harry Potter fan and 2011 saw the release of the final one in the saga the harry potter and the deathly hallows part two and the film isn't as deep or as well directed as some of the previous iterations i know a lot of people would say prisoner of azkaban is the best in the series um but this film uh with it's sort of just kind of inspiration i want to say inspirational because that's the way it made me feel kind of fight back attitude, not giving in everyone performing their absolute best in the most dire of situations Um, and each the way the director managed to sort of balance the characters I think it is sort of still Harry's story in that final film Um, but sort of like um, everyone gets a moment to shine you think the scene where Harry comes out in the Great Hall and uh, a fight sort of occurs between Snape and McGonagall and the Order of the Phoenix um team uh kind of uh come out from uh within the great hall doors and uh back harry up alongside the rest of gryffindor um how dare you stand where he stood all that stuff absolutely fantastic and then you understand later uh the pain snape's been suffering with this always seen about lily potter beautiful beautiful stuff and the whole film is um so fantastic great action set pieces um Beautiful depth in the story, um, and just on like, the technical level, great like set design and all that stuff. And the series, it it wasn't unique to that film, but um, the whole series um, was really effective in that way. Then, so it's another franchise film next. I think one of my other favourites from 2011 was X Men: First Class. Um, part of the X Men franchise, I think the X-Men franchise has had major hits and major lows over the last um, well the first one came out, what, 2001? 2000-ish, with X-Men 1. Um, sort of Magneto and Professor X. Um, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Um, but this was sort of the first of the prequel series of films where James McAvoy took over the role of Professor X and Michael Fassbender took over the role of Magneto and it based itself around the period of the cuban missile crisis and i sort of um i did really enjoy the uh, x-men kind of trying to embed themselves in history i think in the comics there is a massive part of the series which is based around sort of social mobility injustice and progressive social engineering um uh sort of uh, as if these x-men with their unique powers um is are akin to those in society who are feel as if they're less included um, or on the outskirts of society, I don't know. Um, but the performances from those two in particular, um, your James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender, were absolutely immense. The blossoming relationship of those two um, felt Complete within that film when Magneto betrays him at the end, but then also you can see how Professor X would forgive this this character that he like borderline loves um, after mistake after mistake that Magneto makes throughout the decade, um, and the action set pieces again um, fantastic. The side character is fantastic. Um, it's one of those ones that you can return to time and time again. Uh, the score, also, uh, sorry, I forgot to mention that. Um, the score of this film is unique in the X-Men franchise and absolutely brilliant for some of the heightened emotional moments. Then the shift of pace again. I think um, maybe the best, one of the best comedies of the decade, um, and at least one of the most impactful um, was *Bridesmaids*. It's sort of Paul Feig film, who directed the last Christmas one I saw the other week, um, led by uh, Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy, Um, and it tells the story of uh, sort of the main character is the wants to be, or her best friend from life is getting married, and um, she's sort of supposed to be the maid of honor, and um, a new friend in the bride's life is sort of uh, taking over, and there's a team of female leads who are all gonna be the bridesmaids and um that planning for the wedding um and the hijinks that occurs with that and the sort of interpersonal relationships are feeling important and that you're actually by your friend getting married that your life is kind of falling apart slightly and you feel behind the curve behind the curve and um all these beautiful things but it's framed within sort of quite an empowering story um, and the comedy set pieces like the notoriously one where they've all had mexican food and it goes a bit south in the bridal dress shop um toilets is absolutely iconic um so yeah it's a sort of big, that's a big hit for uh Paul Feig and I don't think he's re- reproduced the same um hits since but the impact of Bridesmaids cannot be denied No, only two years in um, to the decade so far, but um, 2012 was quite a uh, sort of big year for me because it saw the release of Avengers Assemble, the first Avengers film uh, in the MCU, and I have been a fan of the MCU. I'm surprised there's not more features in this list uh, from that uh, from that franchise, but Avengers Assemble was a formative experience for me uh, in that I remember seeing it in cinemas, sort of with my dad. Um, And just loving uh, what Joss Whedon had created on screen. Um, It wouldn't have been possible without the four or five previous MCU... No, so it was Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, Captain America 1, Thor 1, and Incredible Hulk. So yeah, five Um, previous MCU entries. Um, And the film really balances um, its characters well. I think... I say that for a lot of films but i think if you've watched ensemble films in the past um they don't balance their characters um well and i think it's really obvious when the bad ensemble film occurs because of the balancing of characters you think notoriously later in the decade something like suicide squad or justice league or bounty superman the dc failures um those real box office bombs the crowd depressants um those films do not balance their characters well. It's almost like the billing order of the actors is um, based on how, much, how many lines they get in the script. The, it was the Will Smith and Margot Robbie show in Suicide Squad, and the rest didn't even get a look in. Um, horrendous. But Avengers, um, they balanced it quite well with the exception of Hawkeye, who later in the franchise got his moment. Um, but you, th- you... I mean, obviously, Robert Downey Jr. is the star of the franchise, but um, the film had... I wouldn't say, like, almost a Shakespearean quality. Loki is a... It definitely felt that way the Shakespearean quality in Thor 1, between Thor and Loki, but the bravado that Tom Hilson brings to the role of Loki is absolutely untold and requires the the, the protagonist uh, actors to bring that absolute A-game. You think sort of one-on-one scenes he has with Robert Downey Jr. in Avengers Tower or interrogation scene with Black Widow, sort of... Uh, Scott Johansson really gets something to bite into um, that stuff is beautiful um, and then obviously the action set pieces of the MCU have gone on to beat that but uh, at the time you think the circle 360 shot after um, Hulk has uh, knocked down the Leviathan and Iron Man has blown him up um, as iconic a shot in the superhero genre as any Um, And I'm talking serious goosebumps every time I watch that scene. Um, It's perfect. Um, In terms of uh, the... I want to say the the action genre, um, I'm going to head towards Skyfall, a James Bond classic. Um, The film is excellent. I think it's directed again by James Mendes, the guy who sort of did... Uh, Spectre following it and is going to do No Time to Die next year Um, and is currently about to release 1917, the new war film that's heavily advertised with its one progressive shot, even though it's a slight lie Um, but Skyfall was really important to the James Bond franchise because Quantum of Solace hadn't been as positively received as Casino Royale Um, but the film itself is excellent it has a great villain in the character's name is Silver, I can't remember the actor's name, um, but has that interpersonal relationship with, well, not not Bond, but M, um, and M is fantastic, as always, in sort of, uh, the, that, the, the Daniel Craig era, um, but the film is fantastically shot, um, well plotted, except Silver's plan is a little bit far-fetched, but we can exclude that because the performance is so good, the character uh, characterisation is so strong. Q are oh, the scene in the uh, like National Art Gallery where Bond meets his new quartermaster first time, and uh, Q's like age is no guarantee of efficiency, and Bond is like youth is no, what is it? Guarantee of innovation or something? You're like, oh, beautiful. Um, so Skyfall uh, is. A great watch um, in the action genre and um, I'm really excited to see No Time to Die next year um, a slight change of pace and maybe actually it's a real toss up with Avengers but I think my favourite film of 2012 was The Perks of Being a Wallflower um, and this is a more sort of drama ridden film um, it kind of follows the story of <coughs> one one boy whose friend has recently committed suicide and he's sort of now because of that struggling with um depression and anxiety um feelings of inadequacy (laughs) um and i I saw this a long time before um i'd experienced enough of life to say you know okay maybe he's got a point um so he's about 15 years old, the old he's called Charlie apologies um, and he feels like he's watching Life from the Sidelines hence Wallflower um, and he sort of gets picked up by um, some senior um, senior students um, who sort of um, want to behave as his mentors sidekicks kind of thing and you've got um, Patrick and Sam Sam is Emma Watson and Patrick is what's his name Ezra Miller Um, and they take on absolute kinship of him and sort of love him, support him, and he goes through real turmoil in the film, and sort of at the end, um, um, he sort of falls in love with Sam a little bit, but it sort of ends up not going very well, but they sort of stay friends anyway, and um, there's a beautiful, beautiful soundtrack score uh, to this film, and the film ends on an incredible scene of sort of David Bowie's heroes just blasting through the stereo, and it's a real... um, I don't know about Tear jerk I can't remember the last one. I, saw. I can't remember if I cried, but um it's a real journey, put it that way. Um and I would recommend or anything on this list I would recommend you to see, but um some of these are sort of big popular mainstream films and this one I think is maybe less seen than some of the rest, so um get on it. Twenty fourteen. The year the MCU came to life. Um we've got Captain America Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy um two of the best in the superhero genre I spoke about them briefly last week or yeah um when suggesting that Martin Scorsese doesn't know what he's talking about when he says um uh Marvel films and superhero films lack character journey um these films are perfect for me they're not perfect for everyone um they're perfect in different ways, and I covered them last week. Um, and you'll be able to find any old review online um, to garner much support for these two films. I think Captain America is—he's just my guy. Um, he has a speech, um, a sort of mini monologue towards the end of the film, and it, it's something like, um, "I know the price of freedom is high; it always has been, uh, and it's if it's." it's a price i'm willing to pay and if i'm the only one then so be it but i'm willing to bet that i'm not and and anthony mackie's falcon is like did you write that down first or did you come up with it off the top of your head and it is just perfect uh, and that's the real it's sort of the sets up the final act of um not only great action but beautiful um, characterization with the final fight between um bucky and steve it is just fantastic, and then when they bring that emotional punch back at the end with the line, um, "You're gonna have to finish your mission," because I'm with you to the end of the end of the line, and you are. I'm just choking up. Um, absolutely incredible stuff, um, Captain America. And I don't understand people who uh, not only don't like this film, but sort of say the characters boring or um, that uh, just MCU films in general lack lack emotional. Uh, substance um, Guardians is the same I mean the first five minutes you're talking about the main character's mum dying of cancer um, it's a killer um, and then it gets worse from there and then so in that case that's funny actually because you're laughing you're crying or upset at the first five minutes of an actual human thing uh, something that's real uh, and could be related to your life or whatever um, and then two hours later you're crying at a tree called group dying um, or sacrificing himself for the team and um, the journey of the film is just superb. My my third pick from uh, twenty fourteen. Oh my god, I missed twenty thirteen. All right, we'll go back there in a minute. Uh, um, but I was gonna go Birdman. Um, this I believe it won the Oscar for Best Picture in twenty fourteen. If n- it was entirely sort of contested with Whiplash, I can't quite remember, but Birdman was the Michael Keaton feature directed by. The same guy who did um, the Revenant and Roma, it's something in a rat, Esperanto, in a ratu or something. I've definitely completely ruined that. Um, should have should have done some more research, really. Um, but the film is excellent. It kind of it does follow that. Um, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a sort of first person shot. The whole film it just follows the camera follows Michael Keaton for the whole film, um, and he's A has been actor in New York, working on Broadway, and he's sort of got his Emma Stone's his daughter, and he's got a co-star in Edward Norton, and it's kind of a story of um, realization and um, just it's just a lot of people talking, and you think that's boring, but the performances and the storyline it follows is just immense, and I would, and at the end, sort of there's a great sort of scene of uh, retrospection with his daughter who throughout the film has been a bit of a bit, bit angsty bit um a bit rebellious um and it's sort of draining on him um and they sort of come to a bit of a conclusion and it's just the absolute i think i've seen it two or three times and probably haven't seen it in god knows four years but um yeah I've, i would say if it did win best picture um definitely justified on that front can't quite believe I did it but I did manage to leave out 2013 so we're just going to sort of run through it and say the best of that year was The Wolf of Wall Street from Martin Scorsese. Um, I'm not always a big fan of Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, I can find him a bit swamy, a little bit too cool, a little bit and because I know who he's such, he's probably the most famous actor in the world so often I find myself getting taken out of the film and not engrossed in the story because it's him Um, I found that particularly in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like, I just sort of found myself picturing him on set rather than within the confines of the story. Um, but in this one, he was fantastic alongside Jonah Hill, who was maybe even better. Um, the film does, it's long, it lags in periods, uh, sort of, the yacht scene when they're sort of trying to get across the world and there's a big storm and he's like, I won't die sober, it's like a bit crap. Um... But throughout the film there are some hilarious scenes. Leonardo DiCaprio's dad in the film is considered like the enforcer for the company. Basically Leo's this kind of stockbroker, um if you haven't seen it, and finds a loophole in the trade of dealing penny stocks initially and then building it up to high value customers and clients, uh, to putting uh thousands hundreds of thousands of pounds in penny stocks where the commission for stockbrokers is um really high or much higher than on um the big big brands um so it's sort of a story of kind of just absolute excess excess um and it gives the viewer an opportunity to kind of live vicariously through the main character and on that front it's really fun and funny and margaret robbie plays this sort of uh, mistress who turned wife um throughout and she's great um and her new york accent is hilariously good um and the film's a lot of fun to watch. Um, another film that is maybe less s- poetic cinema, but I also found fun, was we the Millers. Uh, it's a Jason Sudeikis kind of comedy. He's a drug dealer. He hires Jennifer, Lauren- Jennifer Aniston, um, Will Porter, the kid with the eyebrows, um, and... What's her name? I can't remember. Uh, that girl. Uh, to help him smuggle some drugs and the film is absolutely ridiculous it's almost so bad it's good i think it's one of those ones where it's so bad it's good um and i've got it on itunes and i put it in every so often um and i'm not fed up of the jason staker stick i know stick i know he plays the same character in every film but i just love it there's another one i haven't got it in my list but a couple of years later he played a sort of lead in a rom-com called sleeping with other people and you would have just he plays the same character in every film but it's great it's absolutely brilliant. Um so with the Miller's i would recommend and then I'll go for a bit more indie pick here. I'll go for her which was a Spike Jones um alternative sci-fi rom romance drama kind of thing where Joaquin Phoenix plays the main character and he falls in love with his um computer system in a alternate future reality where Scarlett Johansson voices everyone's computers and is quite endearing and emotionally connected. Um, and the film is a real thinker, um, and the it whole itself is really funny. It's well shot. There's maybe a few too many close-ups of Joaquin Phoenix's face, but it's a real interesting watch um, and not too long either. It's actually well constructed, um, which is different to The Wolf of Wall Street in that sense. So. Wolf of Wall Street in 2013 if you want an excessive watch. Uh, Her if you want something a bit more um, thoughtful and um, laid back. And then We're the Millers if you just want to have a good time. Um, I did 2014. Birdman, Captain America, Winter Soldier. 2015. What a year. Um, We're talking Star Wars. Um, The Force Awakens. Complete retread of A New Hope. Basically the same script with new characters. Um, or mm, Not a direct simulation because... Um, they've changed some of the genders of the characters. Um, but... I think Lawrence Kasdan, the writer who wrote some of the early scripts for the original Star Wars trilogy, came back and wrote this one, and he just thought... I don't need to, no one's going to notice, I can just put out the same script again. Uh, and J.J. Abrams, the director, doesn't care, he just, he's bothered about excess, he's like... Uh, he's watched E.T. a couple of times and thinks he's a director, so... Fair play, but the film is well shot, um... Kylo Ren is a really interesting character. Uh, about the best character the Star Wars universe has to offer right now. I think Adam Driver is a superb actor. He's made real moves this year. Recent, I haven't seen it yet, but Marriage Stories just come out on Netflix, and it's supposed to be excellent. Um, and it was a re- I've spoken about Force Awakens and the whole Star Wars universe a couple of weeks ago, um, but I'm hoping um, that where Force Awakens was one of my my top three in 2015, that The Rise of Skywalker coming out, um, what, in about a week's time, um, can bump a couple things down my list for 2019 and enter the top three. Um, Aside from that, it's another soft reboot sequel type thing. I'm going Creed. Michael B. Jordan plays the son of previous Rocky um, opponent, uh, Apollo Creed um in a sort of new in the new reimagining of the Rocky franchise and uh you have sort of Sylvester Sloan back as an aging Rocky who's got cancer but uh will train Adonis because he's just got this he's just got these fighters instincts he t- can't can't do anything else and you have a lovely little romance with Tessa Thompson who feels like a real person um the rom romance doesn't feel forced I actually think it's fantastic the score is fantastic, it's really endearing. And the final fight, Ryan Kugler, the, the action scenes here and the emotional investment in that final twelve rounder is unreal. Um so creed's a must see. Shame about the sort of sequel not really it was good, it wasn't as good. Um and then I'm gonna first finish out twenty fifteen go inside out, which was another um Pixar feature. Um But in this case, it wasn't a sequel, Uh, it was a original piece um, in a decade for Pixar, where they kind of, not fell off, but there was a lot of sequels, it was the Toy Story sequels, it was the um, Frozen's just come out, Frozen 2's just come out, we had uh, Incredible 2 last year, a lot of sequels, I think um, their original hits are lacking slightly, who's seen The Good Dinosaur, I haven't. But Inside Out, um, sort of char- uh, human-driven story uh, about this little girl, and um, they associate little characters inside her brain to her different emotions. So there's like a red, fiery anger. There's a sadness. There's a happiness, and it's all uh, their life, the the emotions' lives as she progresses through her life. Um, and the best thing about Pixar films throughout the years has been that uh, there's something there for the kids that they're kind of aimed at, but also the parents aren't going to be bored sitting there in the watching them, and Inside and Out is a kind of funny, heartwarming, thought-provoking um, Pixar film, and hits all the things you expect from a Pixar film um, so, great way to finish out 2015 I think Creed was probably my favourite there 2016 is, it's, uh, the, the for me at least there's not many clangers um, but it's the year of the comedies, all three um there's side spins on them we've got like a sort of comedy drama and comedy action but um, it's a funny year because we're going Hunt for the Wilder People directed by Taika Waititi we're going The Nice Guys directed by Shane Black and we're going Deadpool directed by who did it was it Tim Miller no I think he did the second one I don't know but it's like starring and written by Ryan Reynolds basically um, Hunt for the Wilder People I think I'm going to go with, this with my favourite Taika Waititi has made serious moves in the latter half of this decade with Thor Ragnarok which is coming up later on my list actually he might be the only director on the list with I don't know I was going to say he's the only director on the list with two features but the Russo brothers Marvel's uh, icons have three Um, that's a spoiler for the upcoming years Um, Hunt for the Wilder People is a comedy sort of about um, a boy around sort of the foster care system in the outback in New Zealand um Tyquatiti is from New Zealand, he's a Kiwi, um, so, um, a lot of his characters, uh, follow that trait, and I don't know if there's something inherently funny about the Kiwi accent, but, um, his, uh, his style of comedy, um uh, quite a soft voice, um, quite interesting use of language is fresh, at least to me, having watched, um, a lot of, like, American drivel over the years. Um... But, um, basically, he finds himself uh, in a foster care system. He find- He's forced into a new family who initially seemed really weird. Um, he loves his new foster mum. His foster dad seems quite distant. The foster mum passes away. Um, he sort of goes on the run. Basically, so the foster care people want to take him back, but the dad sort of drags him away into the outback, and then they sort of go hunting and hide and have to kill people. Uh, it all goes a bit mental and totally likes it. Sort of a bit schlocky but it's embedded in love and heartwarming characterization and the film is bizarre um, it's crazy and wacky and wild and I've no idea what it means or it's about really but I just love watching it um, so there you go a um, second or what I said the nice guys it was another uh, it's a Ryan Gosling and ryan gosling feature alongside russell crowe um and shane black has probably known in the past for working with robert downey jr he did iron man 3 which is underrated um and he did kiss kiss bang bang back in the day um and the nice guys is an original film which is so it's not rare in 2019 thank god but um it's back in 2016 when it was you had just rubbish in cinemas like Batman v Superman the nice guys with such a breath of fresh breath of fresh air um and it sort of follows a personal investigator and a kind of bodyguard type who are both working the same case and they uh, become friends um and sort of protect this girl from a sort of mob who um a bit do some naughty deeds and da, da da da. And the basically the film is works based alone on the relationship bromance friendship companionship between those two main forces. Your Brian Gosling and Ro, Russell Crowe. Um, it's not as simple as like Big Man Small Man, but it's um, not too far away. It's uh, great stuff and really really fun to watch. much better than some of the shocking sort of Kevin Hart and uh, The Rock features of the last couple of years. And last of all go Deadpool. Um, this film was scheduled to come out for years and years. Ryan Reynolds had to um, leak test footage um, to get it made and when it eventually came out it was fantastic. It was basically a uh, romantic comedy. It featured the best viral campaign ever. It came out on Valentine's Day. It's a, it's a rom-com um, with action schlock in it um, and the love interest is uh, Phil's real um, I can't remember her name um, but uh, I remember being really invested in the story and at the end when he sort of sees after she's been kidnapped and when he sees her and um, sort of grabs her again for the first time sort of you get a bit of George Michael's careless Whisper." but you're like get in <laughs> deadfall fair play well done um it's it's a really um visceral experience it's hilarious it's wacky and weird um and no well, this one i would say is not for everyone it's there was 15 rated in the uk um as was the nice guys maybe um but potentially like 18 or R rated whatever they call it in america um and there is some very strong comedy that i found funny but it's not for everyone um and it was a reinvention of the... Um, sort of superhero genre in another way. Um, it had... It took... There had been previous ones that I mentioned that were sort of a bit more meta than uh, some of the real heavy superhero stories. Um, but this one took it a whole new level. It was like the sort of fourth wall breaking. The uh, great lima Colossus says, like, I'm taking you to the Professor. And Devil says, which one? McAvoy or Stewart? And you're like, just... Hilarious. Um, now, 2017. Um, my favourite is a film that I didn't see until last year, um, so I didn't see it when it came out. But I called it up, and it's it's top three of the decade. Paddington Two is the film that all films should aspire to be. It is outrageously good. It doesn't. There's no explanation for how good this film is. I don't understand it. I can't. I wasn't speechless before this moment, but... Paddington 2 doesn't... It can't be explained how good it is. Um, it is the most... It's just the nicest film ever. If, if anyone has a complaint with this, they, they are just... They're not right in the head, because... Old grannies love this. Middle-aged people love this. I love this. Kids love this. The first Paddington was brilliant too, but... And the family aspect is similar in Paddington Two, but when you're talking the villains, um, the antagonists, in the first one you have Nicole Kidman, who's like a sort of um, animal stuffer type, like a historian nut job. Um, she's fine, she's good, she's fine. Hugh Grant in Paddington Two takes this story and this whole performance to a whole new level, and the and I'm. I'm bringing up Hugh Grant here um, in this film, but he's not even the best part because the best part is just Paddington. He's the bear, uh, and it's the voice of Ben Whishaw who um, this is his second reference on the list because he played Q in Skyfall and continues to do in the Bond series. But the, and the guy is like, he's middle aged. He's like sort of plus thirty, but he's got the voice of an angel. I don't know how he does it, and he's just the most. The writers of this must be just like the kindest humans alive because. Um, the film does not have a bad bone in its body it's just and and it's not even in some cases i can be like a bit cynical but it just eradicates the need for any cynicism at all it's the most heartwarming nice lovely adorable film and that is totally represented as well in the way it's shot the color palette is like bright pastel colors um a lot of wide shots you get beautiful uh, shots of london sort of fast-paced kind of action scenes but they're not harsh they're beautifully shot they're comfortable they're energetic the film is so bouncy and light and it feels like you're on a cloud um i can't recommend it enough it's seriously it's top five of the decade for sure and hopefully it goes on to be the most impactful we see more films like this that can be universally loved um i don't know how many films in the last couple of years have got 100 on rotten tomatoes Uh, but this one did um, and I'm so thankful I'm so thankful Um, now the other two in 2017 they do somehow um, because I've just rambled about how good Penguin 2 is but they do actually come close Um, I I saw both these in cinemas at the time and it's Logan of the X-Men franchise Hugh Jackman's final uh, Swan Song to the character of Wolverine and then Thor Ragnarok um, the third Thor film and the precursor to Avengers Infinity War. Taika Waititi's first entrance into the MCU. Um, totally different superhero films. You're talking... I previously referenced um, Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy, both in this episode and last week, where they are on the different ends of the superhero spectrum. It could not be more true um, with Logan and Thor Ragnarok. Logan, despite it, it does take its strong influences from... Children of Men, it has a kind of uh, lone wolf story where Logan has to transport and protect um, a younger version of himself like a little girl who is uh, spoilers but turns out to be a clone of him Um, uh, he has to protect her and get her across the border to safe because the X-Men are being hunted, he's like supposed to him her and Professor X supposed to be the last mutant and where it stands up to Children of Men where that doesn't um it's just the total added benefit of the fact that at that point we've been living with these characters for what about 17 years um the you see the aging effects of um Patrick Stewart and Logan it doesn't just feel like makeup it feels like these characters have been lived in um it it has the benefits of being a franchise film without relying on the um kind of traits of a franchise film um the film is so emotional and, and i spoiled the previous bit but i'm not going to spoil the proper ending because it is one of the most shocking harsh moments i've endured in the cinema i didn't speak for i mean i say half an hour that doesn't seem like a lot but for me that's quite a lot um having the whole way home dead silence um it is a stunner um and bizarrely I'd call it one of my favourites I haven't rewatched it since it was such a time in the cinema I'm almost scared to rewatch it I don't think I'm able to replicate those conditions I think watching it on my laptop would be um a disservice to the beauty that this film is um and then Thor Ragnarok a complete tonal shift it's basically a comedy um covered up with the superhero kind of fluff um and still, it's grounded in a f- story about family. It's all about family, as uh, Carrie Fisher said uh, in the build-up to the latest Star Wars. Um, bit of a meme, but um, it's all about family. Um, and Thor Ragnarok, its side characters, the new inventions from Taika Waititi, are outrageously funny. Um, Korg, who appeared again in Endgame, uh, is fantastic. He's played by Taika Waititi, the director. Um and it totally felt fresh and new. You can rewatch that today. Has a great score. Uses Immigrant Song by um, Led Zeppelin, and which has both thematic ties and kind of just fits the whole tone of the film. Jeff Goldblum's in it and is hilarious. Um, the cast and crew are amazing. Uh, the film's well shot. It's funny. It's um, endearing. I love it um one of the most rewatchable ones in the MCU along with the other picks I've got in here um 2018 not my favourite year of films um the biggest release has got to be Avengers Infinity War and to be fair it was incredible I think it was basically the Thanos film and he's the best character I just think they didn't balance the characters in that one as well as some of the other MCU features so people like Captain America one of my favourites um were shortchanged um in order to define Thanos as the um, last couple of years defining villain. Um, alongside that, I did kind of, I did dig um, the Han Solo Star Wars film, the sort of prequel where Olden Reich or something um, played the young Harrison Ford. But what I would say I enjoyed watching the most in 2018 is actually some of Netflix's comedy specials. Um, John Mulaney, a sort of American comedian who wrote for SNL, um, released a Netflix special called Kid Gorgeous. Um, I thought it was his best work to date. I think there's... um, Not only is the whole show fantastic, there's a couple of, in particular, sort of set pieces, um, which you can find on YouTube, um, that make me laugh repeatedly. Um, He does one... um, And out loud... um, He does one sort of about... um, sort of him going to college and in America you almost have to pay over $100,000 for that confusing time in your life. Uh, He's sort of suggesting his absolute con. Uh, And the way he uh, performs his mannerisms um, and the way he communicates his point I think is quite unique. Um, As is um, the work of James Acaster who released a four part Netflix special called Repertoire uh in 2018 um and he is the best of british comedians right now in terms of stand-up um and his uh, his work on panel shows you the clips of on oh, would i lie to you mock the week um the guy is super super talented uh, and from what i understand having read some of his books um, he's had to really work for it so fair play to him i think um the Netflix specials um, from John Mulaney and James Acaster uh, have been the things I've rewatched really the most in 2018, and they offered sort of the most complete, complete story. I think they sort of uh, told great stories in themselves, and um, uh, was a confident depiction. And they, they, they're not far from a film feature. They do, they have set design, music choice, uh, costume design performance scripting uh lighting uh, all these things come together like it's it, that you can't you can compare them really um i do think it works um. 2019 is a big year and i feel i've felt a shift in the film catalogue the first half of the year was defined again kind of by your superhero films think uh early doors we had Captain Marvel Shazam they don't make it anywhere close to my list but I've seen a lot of films this year the the height of that was Avengers Endgame which um is probably it's my film of the decade I think it has defined um a uh, defined a decade um it's absolutely brilliant I cry every time when Iron Man dies spoilers everyone's seen it it's the most biggest box office film of all time everyone must have seen it um the film is outrageously good it balances it's Characters much better than Avengers: Infinity War did, um, and the way that writers and directors have managed to deliver what fans want without deliver without delivering fan service or what the fans expected, about satisfying the audience in unexpected ways without just doing pointless sort of. Um, almost surprise, shock, outrageous, stupid moments that don't fit in the story, um, is incredible, and, um, I love Spider-Man, uh, always have done, and I love him in this film, um, Tom Holland doesn't get a lot to work with, but I think it's actually the first time I went, actually, this guy is real Spider-Man, um, because his interactions after he reappears from the portals with not only the extra characters, but particularly Tony Stark, um... I just I cry watching Peter cry at Tony dying, like he's he's that good. Um, and to think that Tom Holland like barely had a script and didn't know what was going on on set when he was performing that is hilarious. Um, toward the back half of the year has been more defined by um, sort of your sort of original film, and it's a shame that so many of this year's uh, great hits haven't been released in the UK yet. Um, there are things like. Well Star Wars, Little Women still to come, but then Jojo Rabbit, Parasite, um what else? Queen Slim, maybe. Um, there's a lot of um the sort of award season options um to come out uh, early Jan next year. Um but I will go with Four vs Ferrari being for one just being the most fun times I have had in the cinema this year. Um and then also um, once upon a time in Hollywood. I kind of ratted a little bit on um Quentin for uh being just so much himself. uh, um, uh I accused him of uh going too far in a couple of places, as George Lucas might say. Um uh, but and it does come thirdly in third place. I think the Avengers and For it goes Avengers big time way ahead of the curve, four versus Ferrari, lot of fun. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, I don't think anything else I've seen so far had as good a performance as Brad Pitt gave in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and the more I think about it, the more I forgive some of the um, length associated with it, I think having seen The Irishman, which is even longer, uh, it gives credence to the time used in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 2010 has been a sort of big, it's been a massive decade in my life, I think um, there has been a shift in uh, the film culture, um, obviously streaming has become a big part of the way people view films, I think it's a means people can clock up a lot more total watch time, but it means maybe they don't sit through, I think people's um, patience and endurance has decreased um, uh, I personally have noticed that myself, I think uh, i complain more than ever about run times of films if a film is over an hour and 50 minutes it's like and it's like really kind of justify it but, um but those films i've 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 i gave you 30 roughly on the list um sort of the honorable sort of best of each year uh, and some honorable mentions because some years were stronger than others um and we've got also a wide range of genre, genres. Um, obviously, the sort of superhero thing was big in the 2010s, so that's made a big dent. And there's a couple of franchise films, a couple of comedies, a couple of indie picks. Um, I'm not a horror fan, so you won't see that anywhere on the list. Um, I can't remember the time I went to see a horror film. Probably haven't. Um, I saw The Woman in Black at, like early doors, around whenever it came out, sort of early 2010s. I uh, just thought, nah, no need to skip. Uh, um... But uh, I'm excited for the films coming out, particularly early in 2020. I've of got a list on my phone of some of the ones that have been going on in America but haven't uh, come out in here yet. And then I'm excited to see what the sort of shift in audience perception goes into in 2020. Um, And then the rest of the decade, what will be the big genre? Uh, Do you think superhero films will sort of calm down? Uh, James Cameron's Avatar series, his next five pictures are supposed to come out... uh, uh in the 2020s so will that be the dominating uh franchise in in the 2020s? we'll wait and see but i'm excited to be a part of it and um i hope you stick around uh, for the conversations throughout that decade too all right bye cheers